Hey gang, it's Katie, and I've got just a quick audio drop-in with some information for you. We are going to be recording episode 150 live. We weren't sure at the time we recorded this episode, but we are now. So here's the information that's going to be on Saturday, August 10th. We're going to record at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, and we'll be over at the 5x5 live stream at 5x5.tv live. You can listen live on the web. You can join us in the chat room, or if you're away from your computer, uh, you can grab the 5x5 app and participate that way. So uh, come join us and help celebrate show 150. And now back to your previously scheduled episode. MacPow users, episode 147, Security Audit. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks here, along with Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie Floyd. Hey, David Sparks. You know what? There's something going on on Twitter about you. I'm pretty sure that you didn't watch War Games. I wouldn't bet on that. You never answered the question. You could you could solve a lot of problems right now. Why would I want to solve a lot of problems right now? It just everybody seems to be having fun with it. I like to be. You watched it. Mysterious. You watched it. Okay, uh, so that was a little bit of feedback from episode 146, where Katie refuses to answer the question as to whether she watched War Games. I'm also going to refuse to answer the question of whether or not I liked War Games. Yes, that's that's correct. I'm just going to move on so before I lose all respect for you, Katie Floyd. And uh, we'll talk about the, uh, one more bit of admin. Show 150 is coming up. And as we talked about in the last show, we're going to do another listener uh uh, show and we're getting some really good emails already so if you've got a good idea you better get it in here because better we step are, it up we are already finding some really good ones that's going to be a lot of fun and uh really quick katie where do they send it you can send an email to feedback at macpowerusers.com with the words show 150 and the subject line okay security audit it's time to look at security. Uh, we, we've talked about it in the past, but I thought it was with the way things have changed and the way the world has changed, really, I think we need to take a fresh look at security. And We try to do this every year or so, don't we? Yeah. and But the things get more difficult every year for people who are security conscious. I think some of the issue here is the diminishing right to privacy and interest in privacy. I think with uh, some of the the younger folk that they don't really care that much about privacy. And so as a result, it's you're losing a bunch of it. And then this whole thing with prism came out and I'm still really kind of smoked about it. And it seems like the rest of the world doesn't really care that much. You know, it's not a big deal in the news that the, well, I guess I shouldn't get political, but yeah, I was wondering how much we should go into that, but, but, I think it at least has brought some awareness up. I mean, there was there seems to at least have been this this momentary at least awareness that this stuff really happens. And I think in the geek community, at least, we were always aware that yeah, this is technically possible. And I think now there's some more awareness that it's happening. Yeah, I guess that's that's a, that's one way to put it. <laughs> so uh, you're, you're going to need to think more. Yeah, you can't think about more about your security. And so we thought we'd do another show on it. And we're going to cover kind of soup to nuts security here, the kinds of things we think you should be putting into practice. So if you listen to the show and you're doing all these things, you're in great shape. If not, maybe you can tune yourself up a little bit. And the first place we're going to start about with security is passwords. 
Um, we have a. We've preached on this for a long time about how everybody needs to really get on passwords. And, you know, my mother finally, she, she's kind of my my gauge for how these things are going. And she came to me the other day and she said, I think I might have to start using that one password thing you keep talking about because I can't remember all these passwords I have to do because I used to use the same one for everything and now they're making me do different letters and numbers and things. And I said, thank goodness, that's a good thing. Yeah, well, people are starting... It's starting to sink in for people. And and one password, full disclosure, is the exclusive sponsor of this show. But because one password's kind of awesome, their only instruction to us was give people the best advice possible. And uh, because they're really worried about that stuff too. But I think the starting point, you know, square one of a secure computing life is having a different complex password for every place you go. And I know I sound like a broken record on it, but when you see studies and you see um, all these socially engineered hacking attacks and all these different ways people get in trouble, so often it's because they use the same password at more than one location, and it's not really a very good password to begin with. It's something that you can crack by throwing the dictionary at it or or a list of commonly used passwords. I mean, think about this. Uh, the bad guys have computers just like you do. Bad so guys have computers? It, they have probably better computers than you do because this is how they earn their living. And they know how to use a computer to throw millions of potential passwords at a field very easily. The, the database for them is already built. If they get, you know, if they want to hack into your life, they'll just throw it at that. And so you're going to need something better than pencil. You know what pencil Pen- is? I do know what pencil is. Okay. But so you know, and it doesn't it doesn't even have to be that. It doesn't have to be well, people say, Well, well, I'm not gonna be the target of a hacker attack. I, I don't have to worry about that. I'm not Matt Han. But you know, I'm sure Matt Han didn't think he was gonna be the target of a hacker attack. But it's not just someone is targeting you. More likely somebody is targeting your bank or somebody's targeting LinkedIn or somebody is targeting some website because they're after likely credit card or user account information on those websites that they can go in and access somewhere else. So maybe you aren't being targeted, but maybe somebody that you do business with is being targeted and maybe their security isn't up to stuff, or maybe they do get cracked and maybe your password gets, gets leaked out that way and username and password. And especially if they get the password to your email account, that's the Holy grail because then when they're into your email account, then they can start going in and resetting things. Yeah, so there's a whole lot of reasons why you want to have good, complex passwords. And I know I I personally kind of felt like a tool the first time I started doing it with these really long passwords. And my my wife made fun of me when she saw the passwords I was, you know, giving her to fill in for our family website stuff. But you know what? Now she's a believer and she does it too. So just bite the bullet and get yourself a system to create very complex passwords and track them. And, you know, if you're just going to do one thing from this entire show, I think that's probably it. Yeah. Now we've had a lot of people, we've been, we've been preaching this unique passwords on every site bandwagon for a long time, but we have had people who have told us, look, don't you think that there are some passwords you do need to memorize, don't you think? Do I really need to have all of my passwords in this? Because couldn't that be a point of failure? Couldn't not knowing my password to a certain site and not memorizing it myself be a point of failure? I'm really struggling not to turn this whole show into a one password commercial because, uh, you know, it's tough because 
if you've got one password, you 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 don't need to worry about losing it. You've you've got a place to place it, so you can always have access to it. But I th- I think what you're kind of talking about is like the iTunes and the email passwords. Well, iTunes email, and some would even say Dropbox, because most people keep their one password database in Dropbox, and if for whatever reason you lose access to that, that can be my, a problem. I, I can I can tell you my Dropbox password is completely bananas. Right. There's no way I could remember it. It's completely and bananas. That's the password. Katie Floyd. <laughs> I'll everybody tell write, you Everybody what. write that down and try that. Katie Floyd. But so it, it's, it's, it's a very long, complex password. I have no idea what it is. I have to go get it every time I need it, but it's really not that hard. How often do you need a Dropbox password? Well, when you set up a new client, you need it. And on iOS, if you've set up the Dropbox app on your iOS app, it, the uh, the app on your iPhone or iPad will go and pull the Dropbox app and allow you to just automatically enable it without you having to type it in. Well, let me let me give you a, a potential use case scenario or problem. Okay, you're you're traveling. You're walking down the street. You drop your iPhone in a puddle or whatever, and it's completely and totally utterly destroyed. So yeah. you walk into your friendly neighborhood Apple store, you get it replaced because you've got Apple Care on it. And what they do is they hand you a brand new phone and you've got nothing on it. Well, good news, you've been you've been backing up to iCloud backup, right? So you're you're fine, you'll re-download all your data. But before you can restore your iCloud backup, you've got to type in your iTunes password. So and I've that saved would, my that would be a problem for me. That wouldn't for me, because I know my I would I would load up one password. Well, how do you how do you load up one password if if you don't oh, if for you the can't Dropbox. get into your iPhone? Well, how do you load up Dropbox if you can't get into your I mean that, you, you're sitting here with a pristine clean iPhone with nothing on it. I can the only problem I would see there is Dropbox because once I have Dropbox turned on well that, wait a second, let me think about this. Maybe I mm-hmm. don't need it. So if I have one password installed without the Dropbox app on my phone it's still going to require the Dropbox authentication to get to that data file that I, I keep on Dropbox because it's cloud-based. So you're right. I would need the Dropbox database, and I would also need the one password uh, password. And after that, I'm golden. No, but before you even get there, you need your iTunes password to set up the restore to begin with. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, that's lower in the outline. And what I was going to say about that is I, I have memorized my iTunes password. Okay. It's an oddball password. It's a long one. But it makes sense in my head, and I can type it out. Yeah, and see, once they get all the the iCloud syncing working, because One Password Four now supports iCloud sync. Yeah, I could then I do then it. I think that will be one less thing that you have to memorize. But so you you are going to have to have at least one password that you have access to or memorize, and that's that's your iTunes password. Well, just just etch it on your retina, and then you'll never forget it. Got it. I will get on that. Yeah. So I'm and the point that I'm making through this whole exercise is. I think that there there is a case for there being some passwords you just need to memorize. No, absolutely. Not disputing that. Uh, I, I thought you I, were uh, disputing that. I, some people do keep their iTunes password in one password, which I guess you could do, but it feels pretty complicated to me to do that because I, maybe because I buy too many apps and music and I would need to be hitting that often. But... I um I'm just fine with the iTunes password I have because I don't think it's very hackable. It's very long and 
complicated. And we're going to talk about two-step authentication in a minute as well, which helps protect some of that stuff. But everything else, email passwords, Dropbox password, all that stuff, I don't, I don't have memorized. The only two that I do is, is iTunes and one password's main password. Okay. How about you? Um, I don't have my iTunes password memorized, but I do, I have my one password password memorized, but I have my iTunes password. Let's just say that there is a way to get to it. Okay. It is etched in your retina then. It is etched in my It is etched. Perhaps. Okay. So I, I think we're getting hung up on which ones you memorize. So I think by and large, you're going to be putting up, you're going to get a database system of some sort that's going to securely create and manage these passwords for you. And that's going to solve so many problems. Whenever you hear about these people getting hacked, uh, quite often it is because they got some other website that they're a party to got hacked. Not even anything they did, like you were mentioning earlier. I think there was a big one with LinkedIn last year, if memory serves. Oh, yeah. and, and so people had these passwords in LinkedIn and they were using the same one across the board. So as soon as the bad guys had your LinkedIn password, they would just start hitting all the other websites and strike gold. And that's because people didn't use multiple passwords. So please, please do that. And if you are doing it, find three people in your life and convince them to do it. Because we could make the whole world so much better if people would have more secure passwords. Yeah. All right. Well, we've been going on for a long time about passwords. But you mentioned two-step authentication. So can we dive into that? Yeah. What is it? All right. Two-step authentication, well, just having a username and a password, and then you get access to your stuff, that's one thing, right? You Well, I guess your username, but you've got your password, and if you type in your password, that's one thing. Two-step authentication adds one more layer of protection to that. So you have to have something you know, your password, and something you have. And the way that most of these places are doing two-step authentication is they're using typically your phone, because most of us have our phones on us. And so they're either sending you a text message to your phone or they're using some kind of app that they're sending you a message through the app. The Google Authenticator app is a very popular one that a lot of services are using. Um, so you're getting a, a random number that is either changes every, I don't know if it's every minute or 30 seconds, but you're getting a number that changes constantly as well as your password. So when you go to a site that requires this two-step authentication, you have to, number one, know your password Number two, know that unique code that is either randomly generated by the app or texted to you. Texted? Is texted a word? Text? I'll take it. I'll okay. take it. Um, or there's kind of a backup method that usually when you create this two-step authentication, they'll give you a couple of what they call emergency backup codes that you are kind of one-time use codes that if you don't have access to your device, these are kind of burner codes that you can use and once you use they're gone to to get access yeah. um and, and you're go ahead just a, a, an interruption on that point like apple does that when you do two-step authentication with apple it's like three insanely large alphanumeric character sets that they give you and here's a quick trick i take a screenshot of that on your mac <laughs> yep. was it command shift four and save it into your one password database so you've got that forever yeah that's what i've done um, yeah. so I also do, you know, when Google gives you those emergency backup codes, I, I save those into, to one password as well. And I've actually got some of those put in my, um, safe deposit box, not safe deposit, my, my safe as well. So if I don't have access to one password for whatever reason, I can, I can still, you know, after I get home, I can still get into my email. 
But the two-step authentication with Apple is kind of a half-baked implementation of two-step authentication, in my opinion, because the way that Apple has set it up is Apple protects you to a certain degree. They protect you from letting somebody else register your iCloud account or use your Apple ID with a different product. So for I ran into this recently, I think I was setting up an Apple TV or I was restoring an Apple TV or something like that. And I I was trying to buy something for the first time on an Apple TV. And I had to put in um, my iTunes password. And then it asked me for additional authentication because I'd never used that Apple TV before. And so those are the kinds of things that Apple's two-step will will help you with when you try to you know, download or buy or associate a new device with an Apple ID. What it's not going to help you with, and this is where I would really like to see it expand, is it's not going to help you with um, mail contacts and calendars or iCloud.com or web access or anything like that. You know, I don't understand Apple with some of these, you know, web security issues. It seems like they're a little slow and they're just not jumping on it as as easily as some other companies. It may be the nature of the data that they're storing because there's so many different types of it. But I I really, I, I think there's been, at least in my perception, sometimes it seems like there's this lackadaisical attitude towards security at Apple. And it, it may arise out of the fact that they have such a small market share that it's never been really hacked hard the way Windows was for so long. But is it, am I wrong in that perception? What do you think? I don't know that you're wrong. Um, no, I don't think you're wrong at all. I, I don't want to say that it's lackadaisical, but well, maybe it is. Or lackadaisical. Yeah, maybe they're just – I think you're right. I don't understand why they haven't implemented two-step authentication with, with email and with iCloud.com. It, it's just unfathomable. I don't understand that because they've got all the pieces. And maybe they were I, – I think it's obvious with this iWork – not iWork.com, but you know how they're implementing iWork into iCloud? Yeah. They're very clearly doing some some back-end stuff, and maybe maybe it will be. Maybe it will get thrown in when that gets done. But I, I just don't understand. They've got all the pieces in place. Just finish it. Well, and, and as a result of that, I've moved some of my – more of my stuff now over to Gmail off of Apple because oh. of two-step authentication. <laughs> That's just – I know. <laughs> Um, okay, well, like as an example, Evernote, I, I am increasingly using Evernote to the Yay! joy and dismay of, of different people. And so I'm, I'm, I'm using it in more places and I'm giving more apps access to Evernote and doing all these things. So I've got, and I've got two-step authentication on Evernote. So it's real simple. When I want to use this, Evernote asks for my password, my username, and I get a text message with a six digit number. And they make it really easy for me to tap it in, and I'm off to the races. Twitter, same thing. Um, are you, by the way, are you using two fact two step authentication with Twitter and Evernote? I'm using it with Evernote for some reason. I when I researched this, and I have to go back and look. After researching it further, I chose not to implement it with Twitter. There was something restrictive about the way that it was done with Twitter that I backed off. Well, I've used it. I, I don't know if I really need to, but. Nevertheless, I, I think it's going to be much, much less likely someone will hack my Twitter account now. Uh, but, you know, these are essentially one dimensional services. Evernote is this cloud based notebook and Twitter is a, you know, this micro blogging social network, whereas Apple has the whole enchilada. They've got 
contacts and calendars and email and data store. And I mean, when you think about the scope of everything Apple does combined with the millions and millions of users, they can't get anything wrong, especially if it involves security. So maybe they're just trying to get it right. And as simple as this sound, I'm, I'm guessing it's really not that simple, but I'm not trying to apologize for them, but I do think that this is a tougher nut for Apple than it is for these companies that just have one product. Yeah. Google's figured it out though. And, but Google, that's what Google does figure. I mean, they've always been the superior company in terms of delivering web services. And I think this almost would, would fall in that category. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Google has also created a Google authenticator, sorry, Google authenticator app for um, iOS and Initially, I was on one of those um, limited text messaging plans, so I was using the Google Authenticator app for everything, and I just got used to it and liked it. I'm, is there a reason that you're using the text message rather than the app? Or no, I, I just always use the text message. You're talking yeah. to me. Yeah. Okay. I'm just, just asking. Yeah, I, I've always got my phone in my pocket. I The very first time I used two-step authentication was with my PayPal account. And so I've been doing it with them for a long time, and it was always through an app on my phone. And it's called VIP is the app. And they hook it up with your PayPal account. It's got this rotating set of, I believe, six digits that that, that rotates every 30 seconds. And you have to hit the – you have to hit those numbers in – as you're logging in, and I've always felt lots, a lot more comfortable with PayPal with that existence. And now it's really spread. And I think, you know, you don't want to say the Matt Honan thing was like ground zero. I'm sure all these companies have been working on this for a long time. But it just seems to me that within the last six months, this has really become a big deal. And a lot of companies are rolling out their two-step authentication stuff. Yeah, Dro Dropbox has it as well. And there are some issues with that. I had an issue with Dropbox two-factor authentication that made me, you know, immediately I thought, oh, I, I really, really, really want to want two-factor authentication on Dropbox. And I had a wacky issue where it just stopped working for a while and I couldn't get into my account. And I think it was, it was obviously a bug on their end and it ultimately worked itself out. But I ended up having to disable two-factor authentication and resetting my password to get back in. Yeah, that's not good. But Dropbox is a place where you definitely want that kind of security because, you know, we've all got lots of data in Dropbox or probably most of our listeners do. Right. Yeah. So what's the case against two-factor authentication? Well, like anything, it's convenience against security. And um, I mean, I can't tell you how many times most of these authentications, you can set it to remember you for 30 days or something like that. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting at my desk wanting to do something and Oh, it must have been 30 days because I've got to go get my oh, two-factor authentication again. And so I've got to go walk to the other end of the house and get my phone and log in. And it's, you know, and every time I do it, I roll my eyes and think, you know, I really should be thankful that I'm doing this because it means that nobody else is logging into my account. Exactly. And and just think of all those fits, Fitbit steps you're getting from being secure. Yeah, I Oh, think my it, Fitbit was lost months ago. You know, I noticed that I've just been crushing you and then I realized that you just haven't been logging. So no, no, my, my Fitbit got lost at the um, security at the courthouse. 
I have a running battle with Don McAllister. We're always very close to one another. So. Oh, and he's got a walking desk too. I know. I like. I'll look at it and I'll see that I'm like a hundred steps behind him, and I'll run outside and like go up and down the block a couple times, just because I want to beat that limey. Oh, I think I got in trouble again. Yeah. The um the the other reason why you may want to consider not using two factor authentication is the issue that I had that one time with Dropbox. Uh, if if there's a bug or something going on in their end, you might get locked out of your stuff. Um, yeah. Or if yeah, they, you if you lose your phone, or if you wipe your phone, or if you don't have access to your phone, um, and you don't have access to those resets, there's not a way in. There's not a back door. You really need to know what you're doing. This isn't for the faint of heart. You need to make sure that you have those those emergency reset codes put somewhere and. And maybe not put in something that is only synced via Dropbox that you can't get to if your Dropbox is locked down. Oh, ye of little faith. My Our Mac Power users listeners are really smart. They're going to figure it out. I, I think in this case, security trumps over convenience. And if it's available and it's a service you trust, like Apple or Google or Dropbox, I think you should do it. And Oh, you even, trust Google now. Well, I, I trust... I would. Uh, yeah, exactly. I would much rather, uh, whether you have two-factor authentication in your Google account has nothing to do with how much of your stuff is getting read. Yeah. And, and I, will, I, I that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. And, and I've I'm had it. I'm just giving it, you a hard time. I know, that's okay. But the, uh, but I think if you've got these services you're using, uh, this is a great thing. And even though it is kind of a pain sometimes, you should definitely set it up and, and do one and see how much, how difficult it is for you. But it's just become a thing for me. Like when I log into Twitter or Evernote or, you know, I almost never need it. Even though I have it enabled on Apple, I rarely bump into it because I don't, you know, add new devices very often. And I don't have that, you know, that problem. But even the services where I do see it quite often, I'm more than happy to deal with, you know, finding my phone and adding a, a number from a text message or whatever the current process is. And I think this is only going to expand. So get used to it. Put it into place. But just think how much better that is. If somebody does hack your, let's say someone hacks your system and gets into your email account f through some method and they reset your Dropbox, they reset your Dropbox password so they can have access to everything you've got on Dropbox right now. And if you're listening at home, just stop for a minute and think about that. That's all they need. However, if you have two-factor authentication, I want to call it two-factor, and you wrote two-step in the outline, and it's really messing with my head. Because that's so what it's called, I think. Well, in my in my life, it's called two-factor. So if you have this this uh, security turned on, when that person gets into your email and resets your password, they, it's not going to help them because they're not going to have your phone in their pocket, and they're not going to be able to get that secret code, and you're going to be okay. Yeah. I guess if someone gets your phone, that's a whole nother story. Now, I do want to mention, especially with Google, um, this was more of an issue when Google had more services, but since they're rapidly killing their services, um, they also <laughs> have a way that you can set one-time use passwords or, or, or single app passwords, I think is what they're called. Because, for example, in mail app on the Mac or in the mail application on the iPhone, there is no way to enable two-factor authentication. I mean, there's just not a pop-up menu saying enter your enter your super secret code every few months. So those you do have to set up application-specific passwords, but you typically only do those on devices that you control. Just as an aside, did you know that our sponsor Hover is going to be supporting Google Apps? No, I didn't know that. 
So you can do it through Hover. So I'm really considering setting up a Google Google Apps account for MaxBarkey.com and um, spending more time with Google. So we'll see. Oh my goodness. Turning around. No, mm-hmm. not really. Yeah, do it. Just do, do the two-step authentication dance. Let it happen. It's okay. You'll well, feel so much better. All right. I agree. I, I think I've got it turned on just about everywhere I can now. Yeah, and and if there's a new service that just just starts it out, let them you know give them a couple of weeks, you know let somebody else figure out if there's a problem. But once these companies that we all know and love have embraced it, once we know their system is working, I don't see a reason. I guess in my mind, my point is there really isn't a balance between convenience and security here. In my mind, you just do it. All right. Well, on that note, I'm going to take a break and talk about our exclusive sponsor for this episode, and that is 1Password. We've talked about them a little bit already, but I want to talk about some of the things that set 1Password apart and some of the uses that I use for 1Password above and beyond just storing and generating passwords, because we all know that's what 1Password does. I mean, that's their main thing is they allow you to create uh, unique random passwords for all of your sites that you don't have to remember, that it will remember and you you can just go to the races with that. But 1Password does a whole lot more than just create and store your passwords. For example, you've got a whole category of secure notes. So if you've got confidential snips of information that you want to hang on to, but you're not really quite sure where to put it, you don't want to put it in a text file, and you don't want to have this disk image that we'll talk about later full of all these text files with random notes, and you want to be able to have access to it on the go, that is a case for 1Password. Um, you know, for example, I have lists of medications for various family members so that if I ever find myself in a situation where, um, which has happened more than once, where I'm in an emergency room with them and I need to know their list of medications and their list of allergies, I have all that stored in one password. I have social security numbers stored in one password. Um, I have information like this is where you get to the super secret treasure map uh, stored in one password. Um, and then you can also use kind of 1Password as your virtual backup wallet. You know, I'm getting ready to go on this trip. And one of the things that you always get concerned about when you travel is what happens if I lose my wallet? What happens if I lose my passport? Um, I don't really have to worry about that. I mean, certainly it's a pain and certainly it's an inconvenience. But those documents are a lot easier to generate on the go if you've got copies of them. So one of the things I used to tell travelers is to make copies of all these documents. And we may do that before we go. But I've already got them. I have scanned in pictures of my passport, pictures of everything in my wallet, pictures of, and by pictures, I mean scans of my ID and all of that, all of my insurance cards and all of that information. And I already had this information digitally typed into the digital wallet in 1Password. But now I've got those images front and back of the cards in 1Password as well. I've also got images of all the people that I'm traveling with passports in 1Password. So if we end up in a situation and a passport's lost, I know that I can pull it up in 1Password and, you know, be a step closer to getting those documents replaced. 1Password is everywhere. It syncs via Dropbox. Version 4 syncs via iCloud. And it's on multiple platforms, whether it's Mac, whether it's PC, whether it's iOS, whether it's Android, you name it, there'll be a way to get your data out of it. So just some of the many things that I love about 1Password. We'll be talking about them a little bit more later in the show, but in the meantime, you can find more information over at onepassword.com. Yeah, I think you should have a lot of that stuff encrypted and on your 
iPhone, because I suspect that you'll probably get arrested in Canada. I think it's definite. I mean, you're, you're on a list, I'm sure. <laughs> well. Uh, but when they have me, I'm going to tell them where to find you. The, uh, I, I really like the idea of digitizing images of all the stuff you carry in your wallet and having those in on your phone and, and your iPad and anything else you're carrying with you. Yeah. Here's a pro tip. Digitize them before you've been carrying them in your wallet forever, because then they're a lot easier to read. Yeah. And just even, even though I write down like on the back of the credit card, the emergency phone number you call, if you lose it, there's a field in one password to, to record that number, but there's just something that feels good about having a picture of the back of it as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about encryption. So I think we've, we freaked everybody out and hopefully people are now using two factor authentication and using good passwords, but there's a, with the late the news lately, I'm starting to think more and more about encryption. And so how do we, how do we deal with encryption on several levels, data and email being two of the big ones. And, and let's start with email. So what's the problem with email encryption is that when, you know, an encryption in essence is you jumble up your secret code on your end and you send it to the other end and they unjumble it. When I was a kid, we used to make our own little encryption routines with, you know, the first letter of each word or, you know, just really goofy things that you do when you're a kid. But Right, but I've got to have the secret decoder ring to be able to read your message. Exactly. The lesson I learned at eight years old still applies is um, I can encrypt all I want, but if the other guy doesn't know how to decrypt it, he's never going to read it unless he's really, really smart. So... That's an issue. And now we're going to apply that to the to the email problem. In addition to who's going to encrypt it and unencrypt it, there's a transmittal issue. So as you transmit the data from one end to the other, is it is the data in an encrypted form there as well? So someone can't in the middle, let's say, hypothetically, intercept the email and keep a copy of it, which is apparently more true than we thought. So. So encrypted when I send it, encrypted when you receive it, and the pipe that it's sent in has to be encrypted too. Yes. Okay. That's yes. a lot of encryption. Yeah. A lot of people that get- hard. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? So, and that's where you hear about the stuff like SSL and encryption and, and people start to, you know, their eyes start to glaze over when you start to talk about these protocols. Yeah. But just because somebody checks the little, okay, so what you're telling me then- and this is not what we're telling you, is that if I, yeah, I check that little box that says uh, SSL, then I'm fine. All of my, all of the email that I send out with that little SSL box checked is fine, right? Wrong. Oh, man. Yeah. I got to do more than check a box? Yeah, you have to, to be truly encrypted, it has to, it has to be properly jumbled and properly unjumbled at the other end. That's the technical word for it. Yeah. And so it, and so basically what we've got to do is we've we've got to go out and do some work and we we have to get some certificates. Yeah. yeah. Now, I know you've been using email encryption um I think for a while in your your practice and in, in are, are you using with PGP or somebody else are you still doing that? Uh for years I kept an active PGP account. PGP stands for pretty good privacy and they had two products. And one of them was whole disk encryption, which kind of goes to the next topic of encrypting data, but you know, the Reader's Digest version, it was a, it's a really great way 
to encrypt the contents of your hard drive. So if someone gets your hard drive, they can't read it. And then they also had a mail service. And the way it works is you have two keys. You have, I mean, all these services essentially work the same. You have a public key and a private key. And so the private key is your super secret key that you have. And then the public key is something that you can share with other people. And they, you can combine those. So like if you prepare an email, if I prepare an email to you with, you know, all the details of your Canadian adventure and I encrypt it with PGP and you have the public key that I've shared with you, um, you can unencrypt it and you can read the contents on the other end. I'm really simplifying this. There's a lot more to it, but it's very good encryption. It's, it, I'm, I'm not going to say that nobody can read it because I suspect there's probably no encryption that cannot be broken with, wow, I just used a lot of no's. Everything's well, crackable. Everything's, cr- Katie, you're so smart, Katie Floyd. Anyway, yes. so that that's the way it works. Uh, now, I used that for several years. It was something like $200 when I bought it, and then I had to pay a renewal every year. And then um, Apple fixed File Vault, and I decided I didn't want to keep paying for it. So I started using another product called GPG Encryption, which, you know, as you can tell from the name, is sort of a ripoff. And it's it's an open source project. And they have a really great plugin that goes right into Apple Mail, and it allows you to encrypt right there. Once again, you have the public and the private key tools, and it's not... It's not so bad, you know, so I, I think that's a really good way to do it. Another way to encrypt, if you want to go kind of old school, is what I call PDF encryption. And sometimes I've got people that I want to send things to through the law practice that, you know, they're not going to figure this out. If I try and get them doing GPG encryption or try and get, you know, it's just there's certain recipients for whom this stuff is just going to blow right past them. And in that case, what I do is I prepare the communication in usually pages and I print it out as a PDF. But when you do the print the PDF feature on the Mac, you have the ability to apply encryption. I'm sorry, not encryption, but security to the document. So I can put a password onto a PDF document as I generate it. Now that's not nearly as good as PGP or GPG encryption on an email, but it is an extra layer of protection on that PDF file. So when I'm done, I'll have a PDF sitting on my desktop that's got a nice secure password attached to it. And I'll put that in an email and send it off to the person I'm trying to communicate with. And then I'll pick up the phone and call them and give them the password over the phone. Yeah. So the idea is breaking up the information, both the the document that you're sending them and the password. Yeah, and then they receive the email, they can take the PDF, they can apply the password I gave them over the phone, and then they've got they've got the uh, communication in front of them. And I know uh, we've got some really smart security people listening to the show who are just like banging their head against the the um the car dashboard right now. But I find that what you know that's better than nothing. Right. So in short, let's say that I need to send you an encrypted email. And I don't want, you know, I, I want to send you an encrypted email. Me going out and getting an email certificate or getting this GPG encryption thing, that alone, if I'm the only one of the two of us that has it, I'm not going to do anything, right? It's it's not going to do any good. Yeah. So the, the key is, is that I have to have GPG or some kind of encryption certificate. You have to have your own certificate. We have to have shared our certificates with each other. 
And then only when you have both ends of the conversation that are secured, then can you have a secure link with each other. Amen, sister. And then the way that I know that, which you probably haven't seen this, is you get a little icon in in mail app or whatever you're using for your email that that shows you that this this email is secure. Yeah. And the if and the first email that we send will not be secure because that's when we're exchanging keys, right? Yeah. If you're interested in this stuff, I would recommend starting with GPG. Yeah, and that's um there's a they've got a pretty inclusive website over at gpgtools.org where you can yeah. download their installer and they've got some tutorials and screencasts and things like that. They've got it's called the new privacy guard, GNU. I always call it GNU new, but I guess it's GNU. Mm. I don't know how they I'm very pronounce bad that. with pronunciation. Well, it's okay. Well, whatever. It's worth checking out. It's an open standard. So, you know, everybody knows what's going into it. So hackers can try and break it publicly and hopefully they keep it up and it doesn't cost anything. But PGP is still a very good solution, too. And if you're in a corporate environment, that's probably what you're going to need. Yeah. Uh, and Symantec also sells some of these certificates as well. I think they're about 25 bucks a year or so. Okay. Okay, so we talk about email encryption. Let's talk about data encryption. Yeah. You know, I was very excited with when File Vault first came out. And gosh, when was that originally? Was it Tiger? I think Ti- it was Tiger. Maybe? No, it was after that. But... And then it sucked. And then people started losing their data. And that was really bad. Do you remember that? Yeah. I, I played with it a while and played with it just enough to realize that it's not it wasn't for me and it really wasn't a good solution. And then I but encryption was important enough to me that I was willing to pay a couple hundred bucks to get myself a PGP account. And for several years my laptop was encrypted fully with PGP. And Boy, you know this. You know we, you and I do this show, and this is something that people make their living at. And it's hard for me to um, to summarize this information and also not be completely, you know, wrong. But PGP, the way it works, it doesn't slow your machine down at all. At least to my knowledge, I could never see a difference before and after applying it's PGP. It's going to take encryption. some hit, but it, for most people, it's not going to be noticeable. It's whatever it was, it was, it was not noticeable by, by me. And then, so Apple came out with file vault two, which I understand is a very similar technology to PGP. It's at the root level of the computer. And, and I do it to my laptops. I have not done it to the iMac, but the, uh, the laptops have it. And uh, so when I apply this, it goes through and, and encrypts the contents of the hard drive. And then when I turn the computer on until I type that password in, it's no good. If if you stole my laptop and took the hard drive out of it, it would be a bunch of, of garbage on your screen because it's not unencrypted. That's a pretty nice thing. And once again, it's, it's I have not noticed a difference in performance. Um, you know, when my, I think I reset my laptop about a year ago, I had forgot to apply it. So I was used to using it without the encryption for about a month and then when I did apply the 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 file vault, I, I just could not tell a difference. What about you? Are you using it? I'm using I'm using it on both my machines, both my laptop and my um my desktop, my Mac Mini. I'm not telling to me it's worth it because it's again, it's a little bit of inconvenience in some cases, certainly not on my laptop, a little bit on my mini, 
um, for a lot of security because I know if somebody grabs this machine and takes off with it, I'm going to sleep a lot better at night knowing that they're not going to be able to get my data because if they try to wake it from sleep, they're going to have to get past that password. And then if they actually power it off, which they're going to have to do to get my Mac mini out of the house, then then it's just totally locked down and encrypted. You know what? You make a good point. I, as soon as we get done with this show, I'm going to push the button on this iMac. Too. Well, as soon as we get done with the show, you're going to send me your audio for the show, and then you're going to push the button on the iMac. Well, you don't trust me? No. I have a script. It just goes in the folder. Okay. It just, um, it just um, goes into the transporter. Okay. Off to Katie. Good. All right. Um. So what about... So that's so I think it's a no-brainer once again. Boy, I'm I'm kind of with a lot of absolute rules on this show. I didn't really yeah. mean to. Well, well, let me tell you the one problem that I have with File Vault on my Mac Mini. All right. I want to I want to share the pros and the cons, and that's because I use my Mac Mini as a home server. I really debated about whether or not I should enable File Vault on it, and I ultimately came around to yes, I need to because David says it's a no-brainer and I have to. But the reason that I debated about it is, um, you know, I live in Florida and there's lightning and power and we have all these issues that you apparently don't have in California. It's it's beautiful out here. Right. You should come visit sometime. Apparently. So nice. Um, if that many restarts or if I want to restart it or if I need to remotely restart it, if I'm at work or if I'm um, on vacation and it's it's having issues and I need to restart it to clear out whatever wonkiness, I can't uh, – well – I, I say I can't, but there's actually a terminal command that I blogged about, and so you can, but it's not it, – it's been a little bit flaky for me. But generally, you can't restart it because as soon as it boots back up, it's going to boot back up locked. Yeah. So it's non-trivial to get into that machine after it has restarted because you guys don't have, you know – Yeah, I've got, I've, got a, really. I've got to pretty much have physical access to that machine so that I can put in my – I got to put in my password so that I can unlock the unencrypt the hard drive so that it will boot as normal. Now that being said, there is a terminal command that if I reboot from the terminal that I can use to bypass, you know, to to automatically put in that password the next time it runs, but yeah. But that sounds a little funny, doesn't it? It does. And it only does it that one time, but you know, that assumes that I'm actually controlling it. I mean, what if it just restarts because the power flickered? So I've got yeah. it on, I've got it on a battery backup unit, but yeah. Okay. Well, that is a um I think that's a, that's the only drawback I can see to it. For a laptop, I think it's almost crazy not to just en- enable it. Now, I think it's because I'm very security conscious and I carry some sensitive data around with me. I try not to, but I inevitably do. So, I'm I'm very conscious of it. So, File Vault to me is like is like you said a no-brainer, but I think even if you were just a college student, you would probably want to do that because oh, yeah. we, ca- we carry our lives around on our computers. And, you know, why should some jerk that steals it be able to see our data, too? Yeah. The other thing that you need to realize is that you can also, using disk utility, and it's the same type of encryption, um, encrypt external hard drives. And that includes flash drives. If you um, it format them as um, Mac OS X journaled encrypted, I believe. And I do that yes. with um, many of my flash drives. It doesn't work for some of them where I've got them double partitioned, but I do that with many of my flash drives. And I do that with all of my clone backup hard drives. Because if you think about it, if someone's got access and someone's going to take your Mac that's sitting on your desk, they're probably going to take that backup drive that's plugged into it. So my time machine drive, my uh, super duper clone drive and all that stuff, that's the, all those drives are encrypted as well. 
And it, for the longest time, Apple had the box checked for remember password for those encrypted drives. And I don't think they do that anymore. But you know what I'm talking about when you when you create the drive? Yeah, yeah but, you know, that that in and of itself may not be a horrible thing because especially if it's a clone backup drive, you want it to be able to auto mount and and run your clones so that your clones are running regularly. Because I know I don't have my clone drives plugged in. The first thing that my Mac does is it mounts the drive and then it runs its backup. Yeah. But so I want it to be able to mount the drive and run the backup. But if you've got your hard drive encrypted, then they're not going to be able to get into login anyway. Yeah, the other so, thing you can, so just think about it. The other thing you can do, and I, I guess where it doesn't apply is, is disk images and where right, you're not right. encrypting an external drive, but you're creating an image on your existing hard drive, which is a disk image. And you also is, do those in disk utility. Yeah, and it's it's its own little, you know, it's its own little vault of data, and it has a password on it, and a, you can move it around. You can put it on an external drive. You can upload it to Dropbox, and you, you know you can get even it. put disk images in Evernote. I did not know that. I did not know that until I w- watched um, Bradley Chambers, you know, Evernote essential or Evernote thing that he did his his book. I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah, that's I'm not, what, I'm that's, not sure what, what I'd was, use it for. Well, he he uses it like for archiving his taxes. All Ooh, he puts all of his taxes taxes, taxes he, on Evernote, but mm. in an encrypted disk image. Yeah, if you're going to do it, that's the way to do it. Yeah, I, I haven't been past putting up some pretty sensitive data in an encrypted mode in Dropbox, so I guess I really can't can't complain. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could use a product by our exclusive sponsor one password and it's a product that we haven't talked much about the show i i'm gonna call this an ad spot even though um, let's call it an ad spot yeah they're, they're an exclusive sponsor of the show and so much of this stuff crosses over what agile does the makers of one password they have a separate product called knox k-n-o-x like fort knox and you can check it out at agilebits.com slash knox and they um you know here's a scenario you've got some data you want to trans transit to somebody else. Let's say you've got somebody the other side of town, the other side of country, or maybe in Canada that they want to read some data. And you want to make sure that when that data is being moved to them, it's in a secure way. And this thing works really seamlessly. You plug in a thumb drive, you can zero out the thumb drive. You can create this encrypted data. Um, Knox encrypts it with a, with a key. And then they have a little, um, in the menu bar, they have a little icon, you drop it down and you can have various vaults of data on your computer and you can open them up or lock them up as you please while you're doing it. But in this case, I'm going to lock up this external thumb drive and I'm going to stick it in the mail or send it to somebody. And when they get it, they don't even have to have Knox installed because it uses the sparse image, uh, 256 bit encryption, available to the Mac. So long as they have a Mac, they're going to get it. You can call them, give them a password. It unencrypts the lockbox for you and gets the data out for you. So it's a very nice product and it really puts a nice face on some of this encryption stuff. So you don't have to be digging through disk utility and trying to figure out how all these pieces work. Uh, it just does it for you. And it's a really great product that one password makes that we don't really talk about that much. It's searchable through Spotlight, you know, or you can turn it off if you want. So it can't be searchable through Spotlight. You can have multiple vaults. Um, It's just kind of a soup to nuts solution to creating portable encrypted data. You can also encrypt data on your own root drive. 
Um, you can encrypt it on these external drives. I, I really like this product. Have you ever used it, Katie? I've used it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so you can get that as well from Agile Bits. Um, it's just a Mac-only product. It's not the multi-platform behemoth that uh, 1Password has become. But for Mac users, hey, you know, this is the Mac Power users. Uh, this is a nice thing to have in your tool belt. Macworld gave it four out of five mice. Um, it, you know, it's just, it's a nice, it's a nice product. So go check it out at agilebits.com slash Knox. And thanks to 1Password for and Agile Bits for exclusively sponsoring this episode of Mac Power Users. Do you know that they have a guy at 1Password at Agile? His his corporate title is Defender Against the Dark Arts. I saw that. That's, That's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> but, you know, they really are. I mean, they, they've got people at, at Agile and 1Password that are trying to break their own product every day. And... You know, there, there's something to be said for a company that that devotes those kinds of resources to making the best possible product. And and that's the difference. If you pay for something, a lot of times that's what you get. You get, you have a company that has the money and the resources to make it the best possible product. Except his name is Jeff. It's not Severth. A defender against the dark arts. Man, I want that. Can I be the defender against the dark arts at the Mac Power Users? Can that be my official title? Sure. Currently, it's Slacker, Chief Slacker. All right, uh, enough of that. Let's talk about some other security-related stuff like VPN. Yeah, VPN was something that I really got into this year. And you know how you just kind of go off on these kicks? And for whatever reason, I get really obsessive about things, and VPN was the thing that that I went off on the deep end this year. George Starcher is really into this. We've had him on the show a few times. Yeah. Well, what's the advantage of it? Well, the advantage of VPN is if you're on an unsecure network, whether it be in a coffee shop or at a hotel, or even if you're on a secure network and you just don't want people knowing what you're doing on your secure network, um, you are creating a secure tunnel um, in either back into your own home network or a secure tunnel through that network into a secure source. And here's the re- – it's actually a really stupid reason why I wanted to get on VPN – um, but Mac Power users, listeners will appreciate this. And that is because our firewall at the office was blocking the download of podcasts. Well, we can't have that. No. And I will tell you that I ultimately got the tech guys at the office to fix it. And it took like six months. I was like, no, my phone can't, still can't download podcasts, still can't download podcasts. And there were like all of these support tickets. Katie Floyd can't access iTunes. Katie can't download podcasts from iTunes. It was just, it was ridiculous. It was almost embarrassing because I felt like awesome though, Katie, that you, (laughs) that you just fought that battle. I I, I kept wondering what our staff must think. Is that all she does in her office is sit there and listen to iTunes and download podcasts? But it was important to me. And so my solution for so long, what they ultimately ended up doing is they, they created an exception and now nothing that I do goes through the firewall, which is probably a problem. But, um, you're safe. You're, you're fine. Yeah. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? So now I can do whatever I want. But at but least you're getting the Mac Power users. On now time. I can, the things that I do to download podcasts, you all should be equally uh, as as vigilant. So what I did for the longest time is because I always wanted to up, update my podcast before I went to the gym. So <laughs> I would get this VPN and I would VPN either back into my own home network or VPN somewhere else so that I could download podcasts and get the latest podcast before I... I went off to the gym. 
So the couple of things that I, I looked at with this, one is I've got this Mac Mini at home. So I looked at installing OS X Server because you can install OS X Server and that has a VPN component that you can use. And we we haven't done a show on OS X Server. We, we've talked about it. And um, Don McAllister did a very interesting Screencast Online series on OS X Server that if you, well, if you don't have a subscription to Don's show, you should definitely get one. And once you have one, you should probably check out that series because it was really an eye-opener for me on the things that OS X Server could do. But after watching that series, I ultimately walked away with, you know, I really don't need OS X Server for the types of things that I'm doing. My Mac Mini Home Server works just fine. Um, and I think uh, our friend Victor tried to set up OS X Server for VPN, and he said it was a little bit flaky. So the next thing that I tried to do in my my long-term quest to get podcasts is um, Allison Sheridan had a tutorial on her website um, that one of her listeners had helped walk her through. I think it was Donald Burr on how to create a VPN using OpenVPN. And all you had to do is have a, a Mac on your home network that was live and on all the time. And I know lots of people use these instructions and successfully did it. And it took me about an hour and a half one week and really digging in the terminal and downloading uh, Xcode and doing all kinds of geeky stuff. It was really kind of one of those brain stretching things. And I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, but I I've, I did it twice and I had the same symptoms that after, you know, a couple of days it would stop working and it would ultimately cut off access to my Mac mini from the outside world. So, um, I, I just, after troubleshooting it for hours and hours and hours, I gave up on that. And ultimately what I decided to do is I got a service um, from Cloak. I don't know. Do you remember seeing them at Macworld? Yeah. Yeah, I saw them at yeah. Macworld. And the thing that really pushed me over the edge with Cloak is they introduced recently a lower tier of pricing because now that I've got podcasts working back in the office, the VPN is kind of one of those things that I really just need little cups of VPN here and there. You know, I want to be able to turn it on for an hour or two when I'm at the coffee shop or or, you know, turn it on when I'm traveling for a couple of days. And, you know, it's not something that I need heavy, heavy bandwidths of, of VPN access. Could, could you back up? Because I don't okay. think you've really explained what VPN is. Okay. Well. So, go ahead. Well, what what VPN is, I thought I, I did this at the very beginning, but it basically allows your device. It, it's kind of like that thing that we talked about with email, where you create this secure tunnel from your device to another known secure source. Yeah. And, so in, and all of the of, data that you send through this tunnel is encrypted. So instead of being in the coffee shop and going through the Starbucks Wi-Fi to the internet, all you're doing is is tunneling back home and going to right. the internet from your Mac Mini at home. And it may literally be your home because you may be tunneling back to your home or you may be tunneling back to a service provider, like in my case, Clocus. Okay, and so and how does Cloak fit in the, in this? Okay, so what Cloak did is, you know, they had this basic plan where you or a pro plan, so you could get sixty gigs of data for fifteen bucks a month, or twenty five gigs of data for eight bucks a month, and that was just too much for me. I didn't use it enough to justify spending, although that is not a lot of money, eight bucks a month. But what they did a couple of months ago is they introduced this five gigabyte plan for two bucks a month, and it's like for two bucks a month, how could I not? So. This covers me, you know, a couple hours here and there in a coffee shop or a couple days out and about when I'm traveling. Usually five gigs is is more than enough. And it's got a couple of different components to it. 
it's got an iOS app that you install on your iPhone or your iPad or iPod okay. Touch, whatever you want to do. Um, and it will configure the VPN on your iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, however, so that whenever you're – you really don't need to use the Cloak app again unless something gets updated. But whenever you're out and about or in a coffee shop or want to connect securely, you just go into settings and turn VPN on. And you're done. You'll see the little VPN button in your menu bar or icon up in your menu bar by your um, by your Wi-Fi signal. And you know that you're connected. You can turn it off when you leave and when you're done. Yeah, I, you know, I, I just don't use any of these services. It's, it's interesting. Uh, the website is getcloak.com. Right. It's blocked by OpenDNS on my home network. So oh, it's whatever, not by mine. Yeah, whatever. I've got um, OpenDNS on mine. I think I've got the 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 you know porno thing turned up pretty high. I don't want my kids stumbling into anything, and they they must. This is improperly on their list. But anyway, well, so, but you know, it it might be because I, if your kids are using a VPN, it might bypass OpenDNS's. Um, you might have it. I think there is a checkbox on OpenDNS to keep you from accessing VPN because VPN can be used to bypass. Yeah. Well, secure. I don't think my kids are looking for bad stuff, but I think it's just so easy to find it that I turned it up pretty high. But yeah. e either way, I, and see, my solution to this is I pay the 15 bucks a month for data on my iPad. And whenever I go out, I usually, when I go into the places like this, I usually have an iPad or an iPhone with me. And I can either just access the internet directly to Verizon, or I can tether that device to my Mac to then again access the data directly through Verizon. Yeah. Well, the other piece to Cloak that I started talking about but didn't is it will work on iOS devices, but it will also work on Macs too. So I've got, they've got a little Cloak app that you can install and it's it's up in my menu bar as is everything else in my menu bar. Um, but you can either click to connect and it will tell you when you're connected and you're fine with Cloak or you can set the preferences to say, hey, Anytime I am not on a secure Wi-Fi network, just go ahead and connect so you don't have to worry about it. Oh, that's pretty clever. Yeah. And and here's the other thing that you could say is either clever or curious, um, but they've offered this other service now where you can actually VPN into different countries. So they've got VPN set up um, in the United States, and right now they've got them um, in the United Kingdom. So if you, for whatever reason, wanted to appear as though you were in the United Kingdom... And I'll well, leave can, that up to you as to why. Well, think about this. Let's say you live in the United Kingdom and you have a brand new Apple something iThingy that's not released in the UK yet. And you want to get an iTunes account in the US to buy apps for it. I know that was kind of a big deal when the mini came out, when the original iPhones were coming out. A lot of people in the UK would have devices that weren't on sale there yet, and they wanted to get iTunes accounts. So wouldn't that give you a way to appear as you, if you were in the United States? Yeah, but I think the barrier specifically to iTunes accounts are um, you have to have a U.S. billing address and credit card. Uh, yeah. Hmm. I, well, I was thinking more of, like, um, streaming. Yeah. Oh, Certain, yeah, that's another good one. That's yeah. A, but now you're probably going to need – you're going to chew up data, so you may need a pro plan. Wow. You're going to be that, streaming yeah. a lot. For streaming, definitely. Or, um, you know, for certain events that are blocked in certain countries or like the Olympics. I just, Time delayed. I, yeah, I just still haven't really grokked the idea of needing VPN. 
Well, but I mean, you're paying like 15 bucks a month. So what you do when you go to a coffee shop is you just make sure that you're not on Starbucks Wi-Fi, that you're on I, I never your, use, your hotspot. In fact, that's my next tip when we're talking about traveling. Never use somebody else's Wi-Fi. Or almost never. Definitely not in places like Starbucks. Or, or hotels or anything like that. Yeah. First okay. of all, it's terrible Wi-Fi. And second of all... There's a good chance, well, there's not a good chance, but there's a possibility somebody else in the room is just looking for that traffic as it goes through the air. You know, we talked earlier in the email about encrypting it when you create it in transit and at the other end. Well, when you're sitting drinking your coffee and your computer is transmitting wirelessly to a router, that data is available or it could be available. Not with my VPN, but no, I yeah. like that. Yeah. All right, so let, let's go ahead and go there. Let, let's talk about security when traveling because we do have to be extra diligent, extra careful when we're we're not at home on our own networks, on our own surroundings, and staying off of off of Wi-Fi is a good one. Or you know, you ever see the the notice for free Wi-Fi? Whenever you see the thing free Wi-Fi in your danger, um, danger, menu, that creeps me out so much. I I think that's a standard on some of the Windows machines. I don't think it's necessarily evil, but there's a good chance it could be. Yeah. Another thing that we haven't really talked about in the security episode is physical security. I think when you're traveling in particular, you want to be real careful about, you know, where do you keep your stuff? Because it doesn't matter how much um, two-factor and authentication you have. If they have your phone, um, they're going to get that too. Yeah. And, you know, laptops used to have, before they got all unibody, I think they were called Kensington security locks or these little yeah. locks where you could attach a lock to your laptop and they don't have those anymore. I was really sad that those are one of the things that have disappeared as we've gone to these thinner, sleeker, smaller laptops. But even the, the, the laptop lock makers have, have learned to adapt. And um, I have started seeing some locks come out that uh, attach to hinges and attach in all kinds of unique ways to your laptop or, you know, kind of USB sonic locks and things like that. Yeah. I think physical security is is huge. I I remember this was years ago back when we did have Kensington locks, but uh, people used to leave their laptops in the library all the time, just open. And then they'd be gone for, you know, not just running to the restroom for five minutes, which would make me nervous, but they'd be gone for 20, 30 minutes and just leave their laptop out. Freaks me out. Yeah. I, I often work in public places, and if I go to refill my my tea glass, I get up and take it with me. I just don't I just don't leave it. Yeah, and it. I've never had anyone try and snatch it. But I I talked to a law enforcement person when I was preparing the Mac at Work book. This was a couple of years ago, and he was telling me about what they call the snatching. Was it the distracting grab where they have? Yeah. Someone come up and distract you. They drop something and have you, you know, whatever. A lot of times with, you know, uh, you know, pear-shaped nerd men like me, it's a very attractive woman. And so you get distracted and then somebody grabs your laptop and they're two blocks away before you even realize it's gone. Yeah. So that's something to be wary of. So keep it. Although, to be honest, if there was a lock system, I don't think I'd use it. I Just the idea of carrying it around just makes me tired. So I don't think I'd use a, a lock system, but I am very conscious of it, and I don't leave it on the desk. Uh, the other thing is, we've talked about this before, just having the passcode lock on all of your devices. And if you don't like the one, two, three, four digit lock that you can put on your devices, 
you can go into settings and create a, a lock with more than four digits. I think um, Mac Power users listener Stephen even sent us in a tip about how you can have a passcode lock that's still digits but create more than four digits. Um, so yeah, I you, I had no idea this was possible. So you know you can create a complex password and it gives you the alphanumeric keyboard when you create that. So, but if you just use numbers in creating that passcode, when it comes up on your screen, it'll just be the it'll just be the you know the number the numpad yeah. So you could have six or seven digits. You don't have to stick with just four. And, and you know, every digit you add, that makes it infinitely more uh, difficult. Infinite well, and it just right freaks word. people out because they're only expecting four. Yeah. Um, yeah the a, other thing nice that tip. you can you can do, and I don't usually recommend this, especially if you have kids or 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 your or young people have access to your phone, but you can turn on the 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 erase my iPhone after is it ten failed password attempts? Yeah, it's okay with kids though. I I tested this live on a podcast once. I mm. maybe it wasn't with you. I don't I think think it, no, it was, but I still don't agree. Well, Be- the, because the, be, my I have I have twice had to restore my aunt's iPhone the first time without an iCloud backup because her kids were playing with it in the car and accidentally locked it and wiped they wiped it. it up. They yeah. wiped it so. What we discovered when we were playing with it, when we tried it, was that after a while, it puts a time lock on it. You can't just put in 10 attempts really quick. So usually, I think after five attempts, it starts adding a a time delay before each next attempt. And my thought was, well, the kids are going to put it down at some point when it's locked and they can't Mm. do anything. But your aunt's children have a lot of patience. They're not going to put it down. They're going to keep trying. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Um, and iOS I, 7 is going to help with some of this because one of their new features is that it will prevent stolen devices from being reactivated if you don't have the um, Apple ID and password. Yeah, this is really great. Well, there's two things that they've added for iOS 7, and these are all on Apple's web page, so I'm not breaking any rules talking about it. Uh, the first thing is you can have it continue to fill the lock screen after a wipe. So, you know, the, the big problem about a data wipe before, as as the iOS 6 exists right now, if my iPhone disappears and I see it on Find My iPhone and I can see that it's driving down the 5 freeway in beautiful California, where it has no business being. And where I can it will never wipe. suffer from a power surge. Yeah, exactly. And I, so I know that it's not going to have any lightning strike it or anything like that get arrested in Canada. Um, I can go ahead and, you know, put the magic incantation into the internet and it will remotely wipe the phone, which is a great feeling knowing that nobody's going to get my data. But as things stand right now, that's going to be the last chance I ever see that iPhone. Cause once the data is wiped, it's no longer going to track. And it's, it's basically a clean iPhone. Um, that's yes, changing. Thank you. You've just wrapped, uh, wiped it for the robber. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, that that's the choice you have to make right now is do you want to continue to track it and have some kind of fingerprint on it or do you want to wipe the data? You don't have you can't have both. Well, now you can with iOS 7 because after you lock um, after you wipe it, it will still show your message on a lock screen property of Katie Floyd, you know, at 15 Shotgun Road or put your phone number, whatever on it. And and then the other thing you can do is you can put in what they call activation lock, which means. Once you wipe it, it cannot be activated again without your iCloud username and password. So you can, in essence, brick that phone. And 
once the bad guys figure that out, when iOS 7 comes out, they're going to say, well, if I steal an iPhone and the person does that, I can't sell it because it's unusable. And they're, they're going to know it's stolen. The buyer's going to know it's stolen. I think it's a really nice improvement. I think and it is, but I think you're putting make... a lot of faith that thieves will get smart. Well, I mean, it, it'll take a while. It'll take a while. But I think the word will get out. I mean, right now, don't you think that thieves have figured out that the phones can be tracked, whereas when this first started, they didn't? Yeah, I think so. I mean, one of the things that happens, I had a friend recently who had an iPhone stolen, and one of the very first things that happened is the phone got wiped. Uh, how, oh, I guess they didn't have a lock on it, so the thief no, was able didn't. to wipe it? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Got to put a lock on that, friends. Just do it. Yeah. So the future holds uh, some nice security improvements for us as well. So That's what's the big time. points out of the show, Katie? I think number one, always, always, always use robust passwords and different passwords. That's an easy practice to get into. Uh, one password is a great way to, to, to do the hard work for you of uh, both creating and tracking those passwords. But if you want to do it with a pair of dice or something, go nuts. Just, just do it. You know, use different passwords everywhere. Um, where two-step authentication is possible and it's a company you trust, do it. Um, what's the other rules of thumb? I think File Vault on yes, your Mac. Yes, encrypt. Use encryption wisely. Encrypt yeah. your portable Macs. Consider encrypting your desktop Macs. And think about encrypting your portable hard drives and flash drives when appropriate. Yeah. Oh, email and... encryption. Look, look at email encryption. I'm, I am going to look at installing... Um, that GPG. GPG, yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. That's on we could list. do it back and forth. So, our super secret outlines for this show, you know, nobody, very secret stuff. Because I know there's a lot of people in the world that really want to read these. Yeah. Um, another good one is, is um, you know, don't go on strange Wi Fi and, and lock your iOS device. Yeah. I think that's I, a good list. I still like my VPN for two bucks a month. I like yeah. my VPN. I like having it. I'm going to yeah. have to look at it. I, I just can never justify the you hassle. You can't justify I, two bucks a month. Well, no, it's not the money. It's the hassle. Yeah. Because I've always associated VPN with trouble. And I think there's a lot of reasons why it stops working after a few days. Like, for instance, if your internet service provider starts cycling your DNS number. or There's a lot of different ways that can break. Yeah, that's that's why I finally just bought the cloak thing and said I'm done with it. Yeah, so that that gives me a new option, but I can't check out Cloak yet because another security measure I use is blocking me. <laughs> well, should we talk about oh, Open DNS? Yeah, a little we, bit? we should. We did a whole show on Open DNS, so we should refer people to our Open DNS show. But yeah, why don't you tell people briefly what Open DNS is? Okay, so uh, a domain name server is like the internet phone book. When you have an internet connection, it's going through some company like your internet service provider or somebody else. And they have the phone book because MacPowerUsers.com, the internet doesn't recognize that. The internet recognizes 127 dot blah, blah, blah. And uh, so what that does is it ties the name you type into your browser to the actual address. And that's basically what a name name server does. Um, there's a free service out there that replaces the built-in one that comes with your internet account. 
Uh, I have Cox Internet, but I use this free service. It's called OpenDNS, and you can go to OpenDNS.com and set up an account for free. I've had one for years. It's faster, in my experience, than my local service does. Um, and it has some added benefits, one of which is you can have it do filtering for you. And as I explained during earlier in the show, I've, I've got kids in the house and they've got friends that come over and, and I have a lot of younger nieces and nephews that come and hang out with me. And, uh, I just love spending time with little kids. I gotta say that. And I'm not, I'm not that creepy. It's just fun. Uh, but they're, they're on the they computers with me. What? They get you. Oh yeah. They we're on the same level, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I'm, uh, I'm digressing. So they're on the computer and they're, you know, like for instance, my, um, my niece came over, she's, I believe seven and she's really into my little pony right now. I think I, I wrote about this on the mm-hmm. blog. I don't think I've talked about it here, but she did a, my little pony search in Google and an open DNS block came up. So what happens? I have open DNS enabled and I tell it to block all porn sites. So whatever she, she did Google and she tapped something and open DNS said, you really, really don't want to see this. I, she's seven years old. She's looking for my little pony and she stumbled into porn. And the only reason that she didn't see it was because I have open DNS blocked. And in fact, after that happened, I talked to her mother and I went over and set it up at their house too. So it's a great service if you've got kids around or if you're exposed to kids or if this, some of this stuff on the internet just disgusts you and you don't want to see it. Um, so I, I think it's a really great, a great service. I think I've heard some, some digs against it that when you stream movies through Apple TV, that it can slow you down because I have not you, seen that, but okay. I, well, I, when I when I first set it up, that was one of the complaints. There were some people on the internet that said they were having trouble streaming movies on Apple TV. As soon as they disabled OpenDNS and went through their their local service provider, it got much faster. And the theory was that Apple doesn't know where you're at when you're using OpenDNS because I don't have the Orange County Cox you know DNS server, so they're serving it from somewhere far away, and as a result, it's slow. Um, may either they figured it out. Or I'm just not that discriminating because I buy movies and rent TV all the time. And I've, I've never had that problem. Yeah. But go check it out. We did a show on it. And I don't yeah, know. And I, did a, I did a video did you on look it. it up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and Katie did a. That was one of your best screencasts, Katie. Katie shows you how to hook it, it all up. my only screencast. Well, that's why it's one of your best. Yes. It's not yeah. one of your worst. That's true. That's true. So we'll, we'll put that into the show notes as well. And uh, that's just that one's extra. If you're, uh, I'm not sure how secure that is, but it's definitely a, a good practice. Yeah. All right. Well, we've hit our magic hour and a half mark. Yeah. Let's just, let's just call it right there. <laughs> Sounds Security. like a plan. So don't forget to send us your stuff for show 150. Feedback at MacPowerUsers.com is the email address for that. And we've got links to everything that we talked about in the show notes lovingly crafted by our man JT over at 5x5.tv slash MPU slash 148. I think I said this was show 147 in the intro. I hope not. It's 148. Um, um, I, I did the I did the intro and I called it 147. Oh, yeah, it's 148. We screwed that one up. Um, yeah. You can tell us all about it on Twitter. Well, we're, we're recording out of order because Katie's Gonna go get arrested in Canada, and we've yeah. got to get a bunch of these done. <laughs> the, uh, you can also find us on Twitter, by the way, at Mac Power Users. Katie's at Katie Floyd. I'm at Max Sparky. 
And uh, we'd like to thank 1Password. They've really believed in our show since the very beginning. And and I've, I know these people, and they really get and understand the security stuff. So spending a few bucks to, to put Agile products on your devices is going to improve your game, and they will do the hard work for you. Yeah. Thanks, 1Password. And we will see you all next time with actually show 149 next time, right? Okay. Yes, let's do that. (laughs) Thanks, everybody.